When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking about Jim Daly's, Minister Jim Daly's proposal for a rural style Uber taxi service. I mean, the idea behind it from Jim Daly's point of view is to help with uh, rural isolation. And we know that we have a lot of rural isolation. I mean, there's always, I think, been an issue with people who live in rural areas feeling isolated. But if they can't access services because because they don't have transport. And of course, living in a rural area, you don't have a, a bus or a train right outside your door. There are taxi services, but they can be limited in rural areas. So Jim Daly's idea is that we'll have like an Uber taxi service where you'll have members of the public living in a particular area deciding to get involved in the scheme. And we'll do maybe a couple of hours in the afternoon, maybe a couple of hours in the evening working as a kind of a hackney or an Uber taxi as it's uh, as it's been called. Well, the Vintners Federation of Ireland have come out and they're very much in favour of what Jim Daly is proposing because they are seeing the effects in rural pubs. They're saying people literally are afraid to come out to the rural pubs. Nobody's advocating uh, drink driving, but there would have been a time where somebody might have gone to the pub and had one or two drinks. They still would have been under the legal drink driving limit but now people I think are a bit afraid because of stricter drink driving laws and I think people now are nervous of even having a sip of alcohol and getting behind the wheel of a car. Some say that's a good thing and if that's what the new stricter drink driving laws have done then so be it. It's making the road safer for others but the downside to it is people who normally in the past would have gone to their local village pub are no longer going out and these could be people who maybe only went out once a week, once or twice a week and now they're not going out at all and obviously publicans in rural areas are suffering because of this. We're seeing a closure of uh, rural pubs as well. So the Vintners Federation of Ireland have listened to what Jim Daly has to say on all of this and are thinking this is not a bad idea so they're coming out in support of it. So we'll speak with the Vintners on the programme this morning but I already see Audrey on WhatsApp saying if Uber style taxis come in here they should be licensed and they should have proper insurance like all taxi drivers do then they'll all be singing off the same hymn sheet says uh, Audrey and of course that's not how Uber taxis work in other countries we don't have Uber in this country but it works successfully in other countries the taxi drivers don't like the idea of Uber or any style of an Uber taxi coming in you know, they're feeling that it's going to eat into their work. And of course, taxi companies, as Audrey points out, they pay a much higher insurance 
than a normal driver would pay, whereas an Uber driver continues with his normal insurance and it's the Uber company that takes out a kind of a group insurance that kicks in only when the driver is working as an Uber driver. Taxi drivers would say that that's not a level playing pitch. But from what I can gather from any time I've spoken with Jim Daly about this, he particularly wants this to operate in areas where taxi services don't always operate. It can be hard if you're in a very isolated area on a Friday or a Saturday night, the peak time for taxis. It can be very hard to get a taxi that will be available to come to your rural area and take you to your local pub and then drive you home afterwards or to take you to the bingo or to take you to the local theatre, whatever it is you want to go to. People in rural areas say they find it hard, particularly on the busy, the weekend day, the weekend times when the taxi companies rightly probably you would say will remain in the urban areas where they can make more money where they can pick up more fares and and of course the taxi company is in it to make money the busy weekend period is the time when they make the most of their money they're quieter during the weeks they probably would travel out to the rural areas during the week when there's not so much of a need for them but on the busy times they're going to stick in the urban areas so is there a need is there an opening on times like that to have this rural style Uber uh, available. Your thoughts and comments welcomed on that. John Paul has taken the calls 1850 You can text her WhatsApp as well 086 103. We're also going to pick up on a story that we ran yesterday. It was running on our news service to do with Cork County Council and they've identified a particular area in Cork City that appears to have littering and illegal dumping going on. So they've decided that they're going to, later on this month, they're going to call to the houses and just knock on the doors and say, you know, hello, Mrs. in number one. How do you get, what do you do with the rubbish that you generate in your house every week, every month? Do you have a bin service? And if the person has a bin service, then it's fine. They'll go on to the next house and the next house and the next house. And I suppose what they're trying to do, they're obviously trying to identify houses that don't have a regular bin collection and if they don't have a regular bin collection they want to find out what are they doing with their rubbish and it ties in with something that we mentioned earlier on this week I think it was on Tuesday we were discussing it and the bin police some people were calling them are going to track crack down this isn't just going to happen in, in this area of Cork City this is going to happen all over the country there's the news that the bin, the bin police are going to crack down on households that can't show how they dispose of their domestic waste. Inspectors will be able to issue on-the-spot fines of €75 to anyone who can't prove to them that they are disposing of their waste legally. And obviously this has been done nationwide in a bid to try to clamp down on illegal dumping. Now what we heard on Tuesday was that a senior waste management uh, official was saying that there was no plans to force householders to sign up to a private bin operator. That wasn't what it was about because they are aware of, for example, that people share bins. You could have two neighbours, you know, living beside each other. They don't generate a lot of rubbish between them. So they have a bin that they use, you know, they can put it in and over the fence and whose house stores the bin, but one of the houses at will. That's fine, but you need to have a formal declaration in place so that when the bin police call, you're able to prove I share with my neighbour. There are others who go to the local, they they go to the local dump or they go to civic community uh, sites or they go to waste disposal companies who take in bags of rubbish, Munster Waste and Mallow is one that often uh, gets uh, quoted. 
And if you do that, if that's the way you've been disposing of your rubbish, then you need to keep all of your uh, receipts and bylaws are being put in place by all of the local authorities across uh, the country. And they're doing this. They reckon they're going to be able to target tens of thousands of homes not currently using private waste collection companies and who are not being responsible about how they get rid of their rubbish. No wonder the plans that we heard about on Tuesday. All of the bin companies at the moment, they will share the unique air code of their paying customers with the local authorities and then they'll be able to check against the air codes in a given locality. So they're not going to waste their time. They're not going to waste the, the inspector's time calling to homes that do have a regular bin provider. So when they get all of this information from the bin companies, they'll check off the air codes and they'll know in a housing estate, say of 20 houses, they will be able to identify all 15 of the houses have a regular bin collection, but they'll be able to identify that number two, number five, number 18, number 19 and 20, none of them have been. So then they will target those houses, call to those houses and then, you know, if those people have receipts and they can prove what they're doing with the rubbish, they will be okay. And But if they can't, if they genuinely cannot prove that they dispose of their waste in a responsible manner, then these ins- inspectors will fine them €75. Euro. And if they don't pay the €75, Euro, they can be brought before the courts and the fines, we're told, can go up to two and a half thousand euro and we were discussing that on Tuesday and I have to say we did get a lot of reaction uh, to it and we did a lot of people who were in agreement with it and thought this was a terrific idea on behalf of the local authorities all over the country you know with some saying bring it in bring bring it on and bring it in uh, soon. Uh, Robert contacted us he said if you have nothing to hide then you have nothing to worry about. This is a really really good uh, scheme. Anna says something has to be done. Not sure if this is the solution but the rubbish bin run on the side of the roads is absolutely uh, despicable. Jackie said this appears to me to be easy targets. I always bring my rubbish to the recycling centre and I always get a receipt. Actually the lads at the recycling centre have advised me to keep those receipts. So obviously the bin the bin uh, the recycling centres and people who dispose of waste are becoming aware of this or they're telling their customers hang on to your receipts. Trish says I agree with the problem but this is not the solution. We take our rubbish and recycling to the tip and we would never ever dump. Surely more recycling amenities with longer opening hours would be the answer. Declan says no to this suggestion. In any court of law in this country the onus is on the accuser to prove guilt beyond any shout, a shadow of doubt. Innocent until proved proven guilty. And Colin said there should be a law requiring people to have a bin registered. Well, I suppose this is going to be the closest thing to it if they bring in this uh, bylaw and particularly contacting the bin companies to say, give us the air codes, let us know who has a bin and then we'll be able to find out who doesn't have a bin. And we also had a call in from a listener to say, will the council inspectors go into all of the halting sites? For example, in Ballyvalan that you spoke about last week on the programme, who are living next to that illegal dumping site where they knock on every caravan door looking for receipts of refuge disposal, caller doubts that this will 
happen. 1850 your views on this please and actually interesting when I was reading out some of those comments and, and somebody saying you know it is a great idea and that something needs to be done about it because of the amount of rubbish that is, is thrown on the sides of the road. This was Anna was saying that that it's absolutely despicable. I was in Charleville on Monday so I was driving from Mallow uh, to Charleville on Monday and I could not get over the amount of rubbish on the side of, of the road, particularly between Mallow and Bottevant. And I started to really look. I slowed down. There wasn't any cars behind me, by the way, or in front of me. I slowed down so I could just really get a look at the rubbish and the type of rubbish that it was. I mean, from what I could see, the majority of it is just people rolling down their car windows. And there was the plastic mineral bottles, wrappers from food, crisp bags, the plastic from bars of chocolate that remember we spoke about that campaign a couple of weeks ago to try to get Cadbury's to change their mind and go back to the paper wrappers. So obviously people on a journey stopping off in a garage you know buying bits and pieces to keep them going on their journey have no problem with that if you need to have something to eat you need to have something to eat but would you please wait until your journey is finished you're either going to get home or you have an end destination and bring your rubbish with you there's bound to be a bin wherever you're going that you can dispose of it but to actually open your car window and just fling it out is just uh, shocking and I don't know why suddenly it seems to have got worse or maybe maybe I just was a little bit more observant on Monday but I could not get over the amount of rubbish in the ditches. It really, really, really was shocking. So I don't know if this is going to help with the dumping of rubbish on, on the side of the roads. I mean, I think what they're targeting here is more the fly tipping is more people who are getting all their rubbish at home and because they don't have a bin, they're then heading out with a bag of domestic rubbish and disposing of it somewhere. I mean, that's more what this one is targeting. But would the knock-on help? Would it stop people dumping out car windows? 1850-333-103. And a little bit later on the programme after 11, we're going to lighten the mood completely because the wonderful Tommy Fleming is going to join us live in studio. We're big fans of Tommy here on the programme and we always love the fact that he always makes an effort and takes time out to come in and join us in studio and there's nothing like sitting opposite somebody and having a great uh, chat with them. So if you've got a question uh, for Tommy or perhaps you go to one of his concerts, he's got two concerts coming up this weekend, Friday and tomorrow. The week has flown by. It's tomorrow and Saturday. He is in the Opera House. Very limited number of tickets left, by the way, if you are, if you want to go along uh, to see Tommy. But he'll join us in studio. It's the Voices of Hope 2 tour. Interested to see how that tour is going because we were speaking to him before he recorded the second of the Voices of Hope. I think this one, the second one was done, was it in Galway Cathedral? And we're talking about the recording uh, of it as well. And I should have a copy of the album, so we'll, we'll get to play one of the pieces uh, from it. We'll have a member of Angara the Corner join us uh, for Crime File. And I know I can predict we will be talking about theft from cars and this was something we highlighted and spoke about on the programme on Monday because at the weekend West Cork the town of Clonakilty in particular was targeted it does look like it is a gang who have decided easy pickings in cars and they don't have to they don't have to do much all they have to do is open the car door because all of the cars that were targeted were unlocked so you get a gang they'll hit an area they'll go into they can do a blitz on a housing estate in a matter of minutes if they're literally going from car to car just seeing which ones are open get into the car rifle through it take out anything of of value and just shocking to think that a people are not locking their car and I suppose 
Uh, I'm at pains to have a go at them because it's difficult enough for you to come out and discover you hadn't locked your car and then whatever was in it was stolen. But you have left items of value. You know, I was thinking, I was looking around my own car when I was thinking about this uh, during the week. I actually don't have, I don't think I've got anything of value in my car, thankfully. I have an odd few CDs, but my, my my taste in CDs. I don't know if anyone would want to rob any of my CDs, but maybe they would. Maybe they would. If you're into musicals, then you love what's in my car. I remember many years ago, my in where my sister lived in Clonmel, and there were were cars broken into, and her car got broken into as well. Now they were locked cars. And they had pop managed to. It was, they were old style cars. They were able to break into all of them anyway without without doing any much damage. In that there wasn't wind, windows broken or anything. But they got into all of the cars, and a lot of the neighbours' cars uh, were done. And when she went out, it was the days of cassette tapes, and all of the cassette her cassette tapes were shrewned uh, all across the car. And the police were called, and they were checking, and none of hers was stolen. <laughs> she actually took umbrage. Said, "Why did they not like my choice of musical collection? Everybody else's stuff stolen from her car, except." my dear sister and her musical collection was left intact. So anyway, the reason I mention that is just be careful of what you leave in cars at any time. Leave nothing of value. There does seem to be a, a group running around breaking into cars that are unlocked. So A, lock your car, but secondly, leave nothing of value. Jane Pickett will join us a little bit later on, who is our resident vet from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. If you have a pet question for Jane. Get it in. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. On the bin companies handing over the details of the unique air codes for their paying customers to local authorities. Somebody says, what about data protection as regards handing over the air codes? I thought the very same thing, but the fact that the local authorities are introducing bylaws, will bylaws cover that? I don't know. I did think the same thing. I think data protection uh, is certainly going to have to be looked at before they're allowed, before the bin companies are allowed to hand over uh, that kind of information. Mary from Alice Hi Patricia. On the bin police, the Quartertown Recycling Centre say they will not be issuing receipts. They have the registration of the cars on computer. So the rubbish police will have to go out, we'll have to go to them. Will that be accepted when they call to your door, says Mary from Mallow. Yeah, I think once there is some kind of a trail to show what you're doing with your rubbish, uh, you certainly will be okay. And just good morning, Patricia, says a texter. Just wondering, are any other customers of Vodafone having problems with coverage in their area? Halfway between Bohabui and Knocknagree, we've been having huge problems for the last number of weeks. We have been on to Vodafone to be told that the matter has been investigated, but it's very frustrating and I'm just wondering how are others getting on in that area? Are they having similar, uh, or is it just is it just an isolated spot where this person is living between Bohabui and Knocknagree? Anybody else having problems with Vodafone? Let us know. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. I'm taking a quick break and I'm back chatting with Podrick Cribben of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Laura Gelga, RC one zero three. And Frank, but Colleen Oak, Judahy, and Frank before Boston Holocaust. Rogok and Frank are in Darlow Dagd and Vib Mehuv, Nadeg Fahane, in Frankfurt to Germon. Akvoga Tailukidi, Olnok, Devor, Ganora, Hula, Viega, Aher. Lilin and Darkoga Downda, Jurok, Benham Winter, Dullivlock, and Nestapo. Norvishi, Devlock, Madshi, Dilan, Lenatahi, Ogslenis Munti. Scrivshi and Quidismo, Dayilan, Ivermlichka, De Gwina, Dervanam, Kitty. Scrivage for Dilan Freshen, Aknir Honig, Shid Reaver. Rather want to scribe she in a dealin' no. When I write, I can shake off all my cares, but will I ever write something great? Be she live a locker fed 
Teresian Koga, Honig Aher and Air on Dilin, August Viuna Air, Nur Konik Shay, Keiko Abi Savishi, Teresha Leib, Dalchik Shay, but she gave Queen Diary of a Young Girl. The law taught new out, Todilan and Franker, Kendis and Cafe, she is Kalula on Holocaust. The Bluer Gwilga, Gwil Closter Dovish, Davis College, Ismisha Abi Brunach. CKD Asa 3 Kirkig. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, the Vintners Federation of Ireland has backed calls for Minister Jim Daly's countryside taxi scheme to help people socialise in the pub. Publicans claim people are staying in for fear of guard. The checkpoints, Fitness Federation of Ireland Chief Executive is Podrick Cribben uh, who joins me. Good morning to you, Porrick. Morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, no one's advocating drink driving, but Absolutely. are are the stricter penalties and the publicity around the stricter penalties having a detrimental effect on rural pubs? Yeah, I think there's, there's two things at, at play, Patricia. The first thing is that there has been a, a much higher visibility by Gardaí, particularly in relation to the morning after uh, and that is causing a, a, a very significant fear factor uh, because people uh, have been bombarded with a campaign over Christmas which would lead one to believe that the limits have changed in relation to drink driving. The limits have not changed. What has changed is one of the penalties has changed. And there is a misconception out there that if I drink two pints tonight that I can't drive tomorrow morning, or if I drink three pints tonight, I can't drive tomorrow morning. Uh, the reality is that um, if, you know, somebody, and I'm taking these figures directly from the HSE website, if somebody were to go and drink three pints uh, or have three three uh, large measures of, of, of spirits or three large glasses of wine, for the average person, that will have processed through their system within six hours. So if somebody is um, finished drinking at 11 o'clock at night, takes six hours from there, uh, is five o'clock. So if somebody is driving at six or seven seven o'clock in the morning, the average person is going to be fine. But the fear factor out there, people just don't understand that. And this has led to a significant problem, not just for pubs, it's, 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 uh, it's causing problems for people who might have a drink at home and want to bring the kids to school the following morning and that kind of stuff. And, and uh, there are issues around that. And obviously the transport issues in relation to people who want to get to the pub or to get home, etc., are still there. And Minister Daly has come forward with uh, an innovative approach. Uh, we welcome that. We recognise that you know there are areas where there are services, whether it be from taxis or hackneys or whatever. And it's we're not in the business of, of discommoding or putting those people out of business. But it's to find a solution that works for all areas, for all of rural Ireland. Because what we have at the minute is very little. What we have is a, a, a rural link system that the the Minister for Transport uh, has been uh, extolling. Uh, now that particular minister never finds his way too far from step aside, so he doesn't know what happens in 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 rural Ireland. But the rural link is not working; it's it's not even a sticking plaster to the problems that are there. Yeah, I mean we have a few here in the Cork area. There's three or four uh, operating. There just there just doesn't seem to be enough of them for a start. And- and the areas they're targeting. Well, I think the problem, the real problem, Patricia, is there are two real problems. The first is that if you're not living on a designated route... It's of no use to you. If you're living a mile off the designated route, there are simply no use to you, number one. And the experience has shown, in actual fact, that they're taking people out of rural Ireland and bringing them into the bigger towns. 
And this, the morning after checkpoints, uh, Porik, are you hearing of an increase in guard the checkpoints? Oh, absolutely, yes. There has been a very significant presence right across the country. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, OK, the law is the law and the law has got to be uh, respected. But uh, I, I think what's happening here, um, and we're hearing this from the public, not from the publicans, we're hearing it from the public. The public are very uh, cheesed off with this whole situation. And in actual fact, I think the biggest losers in all of this are going to be the Gardaí. Uh, because, you know, Gardaí depend on local intelligence to solve a lot of crime. And people, uh, and we're getting this in spades back from, from the public, that, you know, they're, they're really cheesed off. And, and, okay, they're not necessarily blaming the local Gardaí. Uh, but you know uh, they're 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 very annoyed that they're being totally discommoded, and it's not these are people who have actually very little to fear, absolutely nothing to fear. But because of the advertising campaign that has been there, they are fearful and they are afraid of um, uh, being caught the morning after, even though there's there's little or no chance of that because they're they're well within the limits. They're, and they're afraid of losing their licence for three months. If you live in a rural area and you lose your licence for three months, you could ultimately lose your job. Absolutely. I live in rural Ireland. I, li- I live a mile outside a, a village. Uh, I, I understand exactly the importance of, of um, transport. Uh, I don't live in an area where there's either a Lewis uh, or a Dart or, or, or a great uh, taxi service uh, passing by my door. So I, I think uh, I think I understand that uh, very well, as indeed do most politicians uh, in rural Ireland. And I think that's why Jim Daly is making the effort to uh, address this issue. But you have to bear in mind that, you know, the political elite at the minute tend to be very Dublin-based, Dublin-centric, urban-based, urban-centric, and don't really have a feel for what really happens in rural Ireland. You're an an understanding of it. Here's a text in from a listener saying, Wednesday night in a pub, there's four customers. One of them needs a taxi home at 11.45pm. He needs to go one mile down the road. What taxi company is going to drive three miles to collect somebody from a local pub to drop him a mile home for five euro? If there was a minimum charge of 10 euro, it were probably too expensive for the gentleman for the one uh, mile. Um, Especially when you hear of some elderly men who would frequent a pub maybe three or four times a week, it would be too expensive to expect them to have a minimum charge of, of €10. Euro. Will you please ask your Vintners Federation of Ireland rep when he joins you on the programme what he would make of this. Well, can I just jump in and say that's exactly what Jim Daly is talking about because an Uber-style taxi would be positioned locally and would be able to do that, that run is, that is precisely, for five yeah, euros. That is precisely yeah. the answer to the question. Yeah. Uh, and that is why this particular uh, proposal is not you know it, it's it's not won't be without its difficulties but it certainly needs to be fully explored uh, and articulated uh, rather than just a bland no it doesn't suit uh, not here which seems to be the attitude that you generally get from our current Minister for Transport. Well, let's let's look into it. Uh, Michael in Castletown Bear says, I 110% agree with Minister Jim Daly's proposal for Uber. This works worldwide. Why shouldn't it work here? Come on, what are they afraid of? A bit of competition. Roll on Uber. Get it out there now. Now and not 20 years time as usually happens in this uh, country. And as she's staying with Minister Jim Daly, Daly's suggestion. He is also the Minister for Mental Health. I mean, staying indoors alone is not good for your mental well-being. 
No, I, I think, you know, there is an issue about uh, isolation. Uh, we often talk about rural isolation, and I know there can be isolation in towns and cities as well, but it is real and it, and it, and it is definite. And I, I do believe that the minister is seeing the effects of that. Um, and, OK, a lot of people who come to the pub, they come for the chat, they come for the social interaction, they come to talk about the match or talk about the price of cattle or talk about whatever is topical in the area at a given point in time. Uh, and, you know, you have this, um, I suppose, there, there, there's always an element of what I call do-gooders who say, well, why can't they come and, and, and drink water and go home and have their chat, etc.? You know, uh, that's not life in rural Ireland. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the, the people who um, uh, pour out that kind of what I call rubbish uh, don't really get uh, the mentality of a lot of our people. They come, they want to have a pint or two, they want to drive home safely, they want to be got home safely, uh, and that's why we need to facilitate that kind of scenario uh, right across the board. OK, just very funny. Somebody says three large glasses of wine will take more than six hours depending on the percentage of alcohol. It's more like 10 to 12 hours. That is absolute system. rubbish. And if, if that individual would like to go to the HSE website, you will find the details on the HSE website. And that's the type of scaremongering that is uh, coming from an ignorant base that is doing damage to people and to businesses and to services. Because that's what frightens people off driving Correct. the next day when they hear that. Okay, Paul, can we leave it there? Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Paul Cribben, who joins us from the Vintners Federation of Ireland. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. And let's stay on this issue of how the stricter drink driving laws and how it's affecting uh, rural Ireland. Uh, Porrick in Glamworth says, what about pubs closing at an earlier time? Say closing at 11pm or even earlier. That way people could go out early, have a few pints and then go home and the next day they have enough hours for the alcohol to be out of their system. Would that not help, says Porrick. And on the Uber-style taxis for rural areas, the texter says, the fact that there are no new taxi or hackney licences being issued by the department makes it difficult for anyone to provide transport services and when existing licence holders retire no one can take their place. It doesn't make much uh, sense. And some of your calls, let me go to the phone lines where uh, Tony Horgan uh, joins me who is a pub owner in Dunamore, the, the hog and hound in Dunamore. Uh, good morning to you Tony. Top of the morning. Uh, uh, top of the morning. Are you noticing a, a drop off in people coming to the pub? Unbelievable, absolutely. Okay, unbelievable. How, for, for, when did it start? The fall off. Diminish, diminish. Uh, I'd like to call him Mr. Ross, but I'm very selective what I can say over the radio since he brought in the new legislation. Um, I know Patrick personally. He's a very intelligent man. He speaks. Uh, he shoots from the hip. Um, and we're in a dual cap here in the sense that. Uh, I'm also a wholesaler. I'm dealing with pubs all over Cork. Okay. And the basic instinct out at this moment in time now is that they're closing. I, I've Since for the last three weeks, 
I've closed my pub Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday night. Nobody, nobody out? Nobody out. I'm after laying off my staff. It's only this morning I had to leave one of my chefs go. I won't mean, I know another publican that I deal with on a personal basis all the time delivering his stock to him. He's after leaving 14 of his part-time staff go. Um, I went down to my local pub since like my own pub is closed on a Tuesday night. I sat there from half past nine uh, until about, I'd say, half past twelve until when the wife picked me up. And I was the only person there the whole night. It's hard to justify a pub opening for for one person. It, it does it, it does it. And is it, okay, is it the fear of the morning after, Tony? Is, is that what's, what's catching people? It's it's like, fair just to the, the minister for coming up with this Uber idea, right? Yeah. I went away and I spent 40000 on a brand new minibus uh, three years ago now, right? Yeah. The very people home uh, from the pub at closing time. So I'd have my staff finishing up and I'd be ferrying customers home uh, after what's name. The trouble I had to get first off to get insurance for that minibus was uh, unbelievable. And I said cost you, did it? Oh, it did cost me. But it was unbelievable because they didn't even want to touch me. And my, my I turned around to them and just said, so basically what you're doing, I'm providing a service to drive people home. At closing time, you do want to insure me, you'd rather get into a car and drive home half cut. What did they say to that? It's not our concern. But you got the insurance in the end. I got the insurance. In at, the end. at a price? At a price. I got the insurance. At and a how price. is that working for you? It's not working because basically at closing time now is that, um, like, first of all, let, let me reassess. There's no justification for standing over a body at the side of the road after being killed by drink driving, right? There's no publican. No body driving on the road can justify that, right? Yeah. So it's not, I, I, I'm speaking as a human being. Now, the situation in this moment in this country, Minister Ross is so aloof what's happening in rural Ireland, right? Mm. He hasn't an iota. He gets onto his Lewis, he gets onto his, his bus, he gets onto his taxis. I'm down here in Dunhamore. Our nearest taxi service is in Blarney. Do you seriously think they're going to come 12 miles up to me to drive a fella two miles back the road? So that's why Jim Daly's idea for the Uber for rural areas yes, would, the would work? Yes, like, like he's, he's come out, it's a great idea. What yeah. it means is that you'll have to be heading home at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. It's after destroying, uh, it's after destroying the, the social development in rural Ireland. i give you for instance, right? Yeah. I won't mention the parish, right? Yeah. Retired teacher, 59 years of age. He's social only, it was three nights a week in the social pub, uh, socialising the pub. He's two pints and he's dropped and he's game of cards. And he got done by the guards who were doing their job. And he got prosecuted. And he was done. And going back to the mental issue then, he decided to take his own life three oh. weeks after he got done. The uh, social aspect to the pub, it's not just the, it's like, I, I, I work on my home, don't make anything over at the pub, right? This is the reality of it. And if you go to a lot of uh, rural publicans, a lot of them are working during the day. They're not making anything out of it, right? But they want to be able to say it's surviving anyway. It doesn't want, there's no point in working during the day. Like, if what it's costing me during the night, it's taking what they made during the day, working elsewhere, whether it's driving a truck, whether it's working in a hospital or something like that. And that's what a lot of rural publicans are doing because it's only a part-time job now at the moment. And we've seen a lot of them close and those ones that have closed will never reopen. No, 
he's a, he, they'll never reopen. And the reality of this, Mr. Ross is up in Rattangan, right, with his stepside girl station. He's funding for all his local sports organisations above there. The local community council, he's loved up there, right? He'll get back into power, right? Because Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil don't have a, a, a candidate up there to compete for him. But the people who are going to suffer in all this is going to be Fianna Gael. Because he's pulling their purse strings as such at the end of the day. And it's about time Michael Martin grew a pair and did something about it. All right. Okay. Listen, uh, thanks for that, uh, Tony. Good insight into what it's like out there at the moment. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I just very briefly want to go to uh, Dermot Kelleher, who's been holding on the other line. Dermot, thanks for holding. Uh, You're with the ICMSA, but you're also a postman working in a rural area. I see on the screen that you've said that the the Uber-style taxis won't make a difference. Not really. Like, sometimes... That's when you were on demand there, I would be a mile outside of a village. That's no grand. But I mean, I know people are living four or five miles out. And, you know, very few people could stop find that house only the postman or the, the locals. You know what I mean? They're living in very remote areas. But I know people that use both, or men, and old bachelors, and they go and they drink a couple of half ice and take every cows. They're all locked in home now. They're all like hermits. A man rang me two nights ago. Well, actually, I'm actually chatting to you for that time. I'm not going to make something there. But anyway, the ICSA, when a man rang me a couple of nights ago about a meeting that's on in the middle and he had about to be from the kid. Yes, he's been in order before, and I knew I was out in. The man only left his house just to that poor man is living all alone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's a lot, there's a lot of men um, like that. All right, uh, dear Ms. Uh, thank you, thank you for that. That's uh, dear McKellar, um, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, and a lot of people agreeing, saying what Tony is saying is right. We have, we're, we're losing, we're so losing that social aspect of heading out. Nobody, I go back again. I don't think nobody is advocating drink driving, but that where that social outing for somebody in a rural area who mightn't see anyone all day. You know, I mean, Dermot talking about farmers, elderly farmers, bachelor farmers living in isolation anyway during the day, doing their bit of farming, mightn't come in contact with any human being. I mean, he's a rural postman, so he probably gets to see some of those if he's dropping off some posts. But you God, we don't even get a lot of posts now anymore, uh, do we? So we could have some of those people, some of those farmers farming on their own, living in living in isolation, not seeing another human being all day and maybe once or twice a week they used to take themselves off down to the local pub and they've stopped doing that. And it's not, as Padraig Crimmon said, they're not going to be over the limit, but they're so fearful because there was so much publicity about the drink driving the following day. And I think he's right. I mean, I know it's one of the things, and, and I've said it before, that it was one of the reasons we I bought we have a breathalyzer in our house. And I don't drink. I'll be the first to say I don't drink a lot. I'm, an, I'm, I'm a social drinker. And I've, as I've gotten older, I can't drink as much. But I would check myself on this little breathalyzer the next day because this fear has been put into people that you'll lose your licence, you'll be off the road for three months. So it certainly has stopped people out on the road drinking and driving. But is the knock on now that we are causing people to stay indoors and that we're going to have more people with developing mental health issues because they're so on their own, not seeing another human being. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Cork County Council have contacted us to say that their offices in Annabella in Mallow are currently experiencing intermittent problems with incoming and outgoing calls and they're working with their provider to rectify the problem. So to anybody who has been having difficulty getting through to the Cork County Council offices at Annabella or if you're awaiting on a call back from Cork County Council offices in Annabella problem with their phones which has been worked on as we speak. Some of your thoughts and comments come coming in um the problems in rural Ireland with the pubs and lack of taxi services and Jim Daly's proposals to introduce this rural style Uber taxis that would just operate in rural areas. Some of your thoughts coming in on that. Hi Trish, listening to your programme this morning, people seem to be hell-bent that this Uber proposal will fix everything. Tony Horgan, the publican that you spoke to, is off, offers free pick-up and drop-off from his establishment and yet he still had to close three nights a week. Get a grip. Uber is not the answer. Mags says it's too late now for people to complain about the stricter penalties for drink driving. Where was everyone when Minister Jim, when Minister Shane Ross was introducing them? It was then he should have been uh, stopped. While John says this Uber taxi service he foresees another problem. It'll be the tax man. If people are earning money from it, they'll end up with all kinds of complications with the tax man. And Micah says, Patricia, why is everything central to the pub? People could be visiting friends. People could be visiting a loved one in hospital and need a lift. It's a basic right for people in rural Ireland. Why deny them the chance of this Uber service? Uh, because they live in the depths of the countryside. We want to deny them. People need to get a grip, says Michael, who is 110% backing Jim Daly's Uber proposal. May he made the making the point earlier that it works worldwide. Why can't it work here? Now we'll come back to that but I want to move on for a moment because yesterday we heard that Cork County Council is to begin door-to-door inspections in the Killala Gardens area of Cork City to ensure that all the residents are cooperating with an initiative to properly dispose of their waste. Our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran joins me with more on this story. Good morning to you Fiona. Good morning Patricia. And you're welcome. Now for those outside the city just where is Killala Gardens? Kalala Gardens is an estate, housing estate that's up in Nakhnahini on the north side of Cork City and it's been um, highlighted over the last couple of weeks by local residents and local councillors there because of, mainly because of a rat infestation. Um, now you may or may not have seen photographs and videos that a, a woman up there that a resident had posted of rats running around her garden and up her walls and they had eaten through her wheelie bins. And um She and other residents believe that the problem is that um, people have been dumping rubbish in an alleyway and uh, behind walls. And there's a a huge problem now of illegal dumping in that area. Um, And I suppose it's an important point to to note as well that this is not just uh, an issue for residents up in uh, Killala Gardens in Mahini. I mean, we had a protest here in the city a couple of weeks back. Um, a solidarity councillor, Fiona Ryan, uh, was raising the issue of illegal dumping in the Blackpool area. Um, we've had councillor Joe Kavanagh on talking about illegal dumping in the Mayfield area. Uh, we had a protest outside City Hall two weeks ago about the illegal dump at Ellis's Yard in Ballyvalan. So it's becoming uh, a, an increasing problem around the area. And a lot of people are blaming um, 
you know, the, the privatisation of refuse collection because this is it, this is by the local authorities. This is domestic rubbish we're talking about. People dumping it is. Yeah, yeah it's bags of rubbish that normally would have, people would have put into their wheelie bins and the councils would have come and collected it. And now um, private collectors, those people are charging. Um, you know, a good bit of money to, to collect these uh, bins and a lot of people are saying that they can't afford it and uh, they're now dumping and uh, fly-tipping, throwing rubbish bags in um, in areas around the city and county. So and, the uh, council are targeting Kilala Gardens and are going to try to identify which house has a bin and which house doesn't have a bin, is that it? Yeah, so last year they wrote to all the residents and they informed them of different ways that they could properly dispose of their rubbish and their waste. And then in January, um, they wrote to them and they asked them to show evidence of how they have been disposing of their waste in recent months. Now, they had at that time a 20% response rate from residents and they sent out another uh, letter and another correspondence with people. And to date, 40% of residents have uh, replied. So 60% of residents have not um, engaged with the council on this issue. So now their plan is at the end of this month to carry out door-to-door um, inve- inspections um, in the Kalala Gardens area. Um, they mainly want to call to people who haven't replied or who haven't responded to the letters that they sent out um, over the last couple of weeks and they want to know first of all why they haven't been engaging with the initiative and they want to see the proof of how they have been disposing of their rubbish. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it was, I was talking there yesterday to Councillor Tony Fitzgerald and he welcomed the move. But I saw last night on um, social media that a lot of people were saying that it's not the residents of Kalala Gardens that are disposing of the waste um, in this manner, that they're they're not the ones that are throwing it over the wall or throwing it into laneways, that it's other people coming from other areas um, outside of Kalala Gardens that are throwing the rubbish there. So they don't see why the residents are the ones who are being targeted. But I suppose the council at this stage wants to just do something proactive to try and put an end to this problem before it gets completely out of hand. And are they talking of finding a household if a household is not able to prove where they're disposing properly of um, their rubbish? They, they haven't said that yet. I suppose it's, um, it's all kind of being discussed at the minute and probably an area that they are discussing at the minute. Um, but I think, um, now I don't know, uh, you might know better, Patricia, but is there a law that if you have been found um, to have thrown your rubbish in an illegal manner and um, that you can be fined if, if there's proof well, that if, was your if rubbish? Well, if they can prove it's your, your rubbish, but they're talking mm-hmm. about introducing bylaws all over across the country to target mm-hmm. the homes that don't currently have private waste collectors and there's talks, but the bylaws aren't in yet, where if they call to somebody's house, and um, the, these are these the bin police, as they've been called, the inspectors, mm-hmm. and if the person can't prove that they're properly disposing of their waste, then they're talking of introducing fines of, of 75 euro. Now I don't to, from what I can gather that mm. a bylaw has to be introduced which I don't think has not been introduced here in Cork yeah. yet. So, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when they yeah. call door, door to door to people. I know because you know um, if there's not going to be a punishment you'd wonder you know will people because yeah. you know what's going to happen and you know Tony Fitzgerald yesterday was calling on people to engage with the council and um, you know he was kind of getting the message out there that even though people are complaining that they have to pay large sums of money that they can't afford. At the end of the day, it's everyone's responsibility to, to dispose of their rubbish properly and to keep their own environment clean and healthy. And, you know, when you've got a, a situation where there's rats running around people's gardens, you know, it's not yeah. a good situation to be in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's just another utility that has to be paid for. And, you know, 
you have to pay for your electricity, you have to pay for your heating, you have to pay for your food. So why not your your bin collection, you know? Um, yeah, someone was someone on, by Texas making the point. Um, I pay five hundred euro a year on property tax and three hundred and sixty euro a year in bin charges. I think the government should have merged the two when they brought in that tax of property tax. I know it is. It's a killer. Like I even know myself from paying my own bin. I'm like, God, do I have to pay this again? Like, you I know, know just, I know. It, it seems extortionate, and I think a lot of. Um, bin collections now are done by by weight as well. Yeah, is, pay by uh, weight. And I, I and I clearly remember when they when they went down the route of privatization of the bins, we did endless interviews with mm. councillors and people that were against the privatization for this very re- reason. People yeah. were predicting that there would be flight tipping, there would be people who just didn't want to pay the bin charges, but as you said there are people who can't can't afford it. People living on mm. very low incomes can't afford to pay it. And I what mean, happens? Like and, you know, like, I mean, you speak there to the likes of uh, Katrina Toomey over in Cork Penny Dinners and she was saying that, you know, she has people coming in there who are living, they're not homeless, they are living in a house, but they just can't afford to buy food for their family because they're trying to pay the, the rent. So then, like, for them, we have to pay a couple of hundred quid extra then on top of that every year to get rid of your, your waste, as well as all of the other bills. You know, you can't understand why people are saying that they can't afford to pay it, but um, I don't know, it's a, it seems to be... Um, in Cork anyway like, and I'm, I'm sure it is the same all over the country that yeah. it is becoming a, a really big problem and it's becoming a very serious problem Not just an issue here Okay listen Fiona as always pleasure to talk to you thank you for that Thank you And uh, thanks for joining us Fiona Corcoran there who is our senior news uh, reporter Jane says Patricia why don't the government take over go back to collecting our waste as they did the way they used to do it remember the council bin collection used to come. God, I remember when I was growing up, we used to, the bins used to be collected twice a week, I'll tell you, by the council. Um, anyway, back to Jane's point. So your waste charges would go into general taxation and then it wouldn't be attractive to dump because you'd have already, uh, you would have already paid for it, says uh, Jane. So bring back the council collecting the bins. I am living near bottle banks in Formoy, says this texter. How am I going to prove how I recycle all my items? I live at two minute walk from a bottle bank, cans, clothes, glass and then paper, plastic and any other rubbish I have I put it into my friend's bin and I give her a few euro towards the cost of her bin. Will they call to the people out by the new graveyard in Formoy and ask them what they are doing with their waste? I have nothing to hide I live on my own so it will be a waste of money me paying for bins as I don't have a lot of waste. By the way, before you ask, my waste food goes to my dog and my cat, so I don't have any waste food. And actually, um, thank you for that. Um, We see you'll be able to prove, you'll be able to tell them exactly what you're doing. Your friend will be able to concur that whatever other paper waste or plastic waste you have that you're putting it into her recycling bin. So you're okay. you are right. You You have nothing to hide. Somebody else was on to say, John and Limerick contacted us to say our backyard was destroyed with uh, crows and even rats. It's due to our neighbours not having a food bin. It was a matter that continued, so I reported them to the local council. The local council did investigate, but because our neighbours had a recycling bin with the receipts 
from their bin company, the council said they were able to prove that they had bins and that they were recycling. I said, that's fine, but what about their waste food? The crows are roaring at 6.30 in the morning, waiting for my neighbours to dump out food as they throw the food into the backyard. I painted my two walls recently and they've been destroyed with mess from the crows. So I feel, while you're talking about refuge, don't forget about waste food. I find that a really bizarre story because if they have a bin collection for recycling. They must have two bins. I don't know of any company that just collects recycling. So they'd have the recycling bin and then they'd have the, on the other week, they would have the landfill bin where your waste food goes into. Now I know, I know certainly the one of the country clean who I have my bins with, I have four wheelie bins of which one of them is the food just purely uh, for food. But when I didn't have a food bin, it went into the landfill bin. So, John, I can't understand. Are you saying that your neighbours only, the only bin they have is the recycling one? Uh, you you really paint a very grim picture, though. I certainly wouldn't like to be living next door to that. And, and I wonder, dare I ask, have you gone down the route of knocking on the door and asking them to stop dumping their food waste and explaining the problem uh, that you are ha- that you're having? And passing from Moises, last summer I was walking down the banks of the Blackwater in Formoy and I came across a lot of rubbish. Amongst the rubbish was a wage slip and all the data was on it, the person's name and the company he worked for, etc. The litter warden then contacted the company and the company he was working for said, we cannot give you any more information because of data protection. So the litter department were not able to prosecute and uh, data protection backfired on that one, even though they had the man's name, they knew his name, they knew the company he worked for, but then they hit a brick wall, they couldn't get his address and they obviously needed to get his address in order to uh, prosecute. And Mary Amado said, if they left all of the civic amenity sites open longer and open for more days, keep it open at lunchtime, for example, open it later in the evening, more people would avail of uh, it. Would that help with all of the illegal dumping? 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. A plasterer is needed for immediate start in the Mallow Cork area. You need to have safe pass and own transport. Cleaner wanted for evening work. It's about seven hours per week. It's in the Dunmanway area. And a marketing personnel wanted full and part-time. And full and part-time bus drivers wanted for school runs, private hire and uh, tours. You need to have a full D and D1 licence. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Tickets are fast booking out for Tommy Fleming's Voice of Hope 2 tour at the Opera House on this Friday and Saturday night. Talk to us about how the tour is going and what he's been getting up to. I'm delighted to say Tommy Fleming joins me live in the studio. Good morning to you. Good morning Patricia, uh, how are you? I'm very well and you're looking well. I'm feeling great you're, actually. You're I'm, in, I'm in good well. form as to say. What's the reaction to the tour been like? It's been great. It's been um, it's been better than, been, than I actually ever anticipated or imagined because I've been doing the songs from the show um, and People, lo- people are—they know them. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's—it's been—it's been—it's been brilliant. Um, at the end of the day, when you see a standing ovation at every show, you know you're doing something all right. Yeah, and I've worked hard on it. I've worked very hard on it. And I suppose as the years go by, I find it very hard to pat myself on the back too much when I'm doing something. But it's—it's it's just great to hear the banter going on in the audience and. 
Um, I'm really looking forward to this weekend actually because Cork you always get it. You just get. You'll always get the crack going, coming from the audience. And that's why you do two nights here. You I do two nights in the Opera House. Yeah. Fa- I always do a Friday and a Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. And it's always a great night. Okay, go back to Voices of Hope one and how that all came about. Before we talk about how the second one came about, Voice Hope Voice Hope one was um, that came about from a friend of mine saying, "You know, you should do a concert in the Basilica Knock sometime." And that was in two thousand and three, and then in two thousand and four, I had put the whole plan together and we did it. Now, there was a whole documentary made on this. Um, when we were filming it that night and everything else, the electricity went and there was a whole shamazel of stuff and there was 5,000 people in the basilica. Um, I spent six months not looking at anything, not listening to anything in 2004. And then I um, went into the edit suite and started listening and looking and I thought, this isn't bad at all, actually, when I'm thinking about it. We released it and the album went to number one the week of release. And 28 weeks later, it had become the fastest and biggest selling Irish album. It was in, incredible. In, in, basically, the fa- fastest uh, Irish album uh, since A Woman's Heart in 93. So it was, it was, it was a huge step for us. It was a huge, um, it was a huge kick in the backside in a good way for the career wise, because mm-hmm. it moved everything from two and three hundred seats to 2000 and you know five nights in the concert hall in Dublin and you were in the big time and it was was just it it was moving faster than we were and then move forward almost 15 years Tina and I are at a wedding in Galway Cathedral uh, last summer and I'm looking up at the dome in the cathedral and I said to Tina I said it's a gorgeous set isn't it it would make a great place for a concert to which she said she said as a joke you should do another voice of hope and that was the moment I said, I said OK, why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, because uh, like, I remember, um, I was uh, reading online that when you were deciding to do it, because, you know, I knew how successful The Voices of Hope 1 was. And I was thinking, this is a big decision. It's a, it's a because, huge decision. Yeah. You know, to go back again, to revisit it again and do it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, it's absolutely it's worked and I wouldn't have doubted your talent that it wouldn't have worked but you must have soul searched and thought what if I don't nail it the second time I, what I was soul searching about was because it was a very it's a very different industry to what it was 15 years ago downloads and so on and so forth yeah. and you have to remember that when we released the first album um, uh, we released it on the 26, 21st of October 2004 and by Christmas Eve that year we had sold 190,000 units and it was like we were sitting there going, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we knew it wasn't going to be the same level on yeah. this time around because of the difference in yeah. the industry. However, we released on the 26th of October this year. And the today the album is number 10 after 15 weeks. It's constantly That's going in and out of the top 15 incredible. and 20. Yeah. And I, I'm just I'm so thrilled with it. And I have to say a big thanks to Virgin Media for the support they gave me over the Christmas because they... They just took the show and broadcast it and broadcast it it and broadcast it to the point of I was getting a bit embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And I was kind of saying, you know, and they were they were very, very good to me in that sense. And they put the show out to the to the public, basically, yeah. for them to see it. And what, um, what, what was the feel of recording the second one? Was it a different feel? Did it, was there it was everything was nerves? different to, because they had oh the nerves were huge because I knew this time round I was the producer of the show. Whereas the first time round, I didn't even know how to, how to produce the show. I was the executive producer of the show. And so I was working with directors and, and like 
So I, what kind of made me laugh was my sister called in to see me one day before we filmed on the second day of rehearsals and camera checks. And I was letting shouting at someone to move one camera. To, we wanted a different angle and something. And she said, it's a very different Tommy to the first one that did Voice of Hope 1. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, oh, no, don't get me wrong. She said, you've learned a lot. She said, but I don't particularly like being around you today. <laughs> Because you, you strike me as someone who's a bit of a perfectionist. I am, yeah, yeah. completely. I am. Yeah. I don't know if it's a fault or if it's um, a blessing. I don't know if it's any of those things. I just sometimes, because you can't get perfection. You can't. You're no, not. No. And I'm never one that will sit back and go. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's grand. I could never do that. I'd lose sleep over that. And when it comes to projects... I think I I have a touch of OCD about things because I just, everything is, you know, even down to when we were doing rehearsals and somebody left a coffee cup on on a table and I could see it in, in the, and I'm like, who left the coffee cup there? <laughs> and somebody terrified it was me. It's like, all you could see was a hand going in, taking the coffee cup up and I thought, I need to relax a bit, don't I? So, and you recorded in September, wasn't it? In September, in yeah, the 12th of September in Galway Cathedral. And, and God love Peter Abbott. He was the priest in, in in Galway, and he was just the most amazing man. Because we went in and wrecked his cathedral, and we said we'd <laughs> hand it back to him the way he got it. But we built stages and we did sets and everything else. And but this is a working cathedral, so you've got to get in and out in a time. Well, frame we were then. there for three days, but it was a yeah. working cathedral. But people were still coming in. Mass was held when, when mass would start. We'd stop. And like you were all going, it, it, honestly, this is you, you might find this funny, or you might not. And we'd be all there'd be twenty people working on a stage, and they'd be hammering and they'd be moving sets and everything else. The next thing, the bell would ring, and I'd let one roar and go, "Stop, everybody! It's mass!" <laughs> so everyone had to get off the That's stage. Let the all, priest come out. And like I said, what I did say to everybody, I didn't care really what their denomination or what their belief was. I said, out of respect. If the bell rings and we're masses on and we're there, let's just all go to mass. Yeah, well done. And did they? And they did, yeah. Yeah. And you know, and they all arrived in, and like, and Tina's nudging me at the back and she's gone, 
you brought all of these lads in work gear and everything else and you, nobody knew who they were because there were like, those people who come into Mass every day and they'd be gone was that? all them workmen come and they're going to Mass. And they all dressed in, in their work gear. In their work gear I, yeah. I remember years ago being in Notre Dame in Paris which is a working church obviously mm. and I, I arrived in in the middle of Mass so out of respect you know we knelt down and, and did all the usual even though it was in French I couldn't get over the disrespect shown by other tourists who were coming in taking photographs while Mass was on. You know, nearly leaning, nearly, there was one woman, an American woman, nearly got on my back to take a photograph over where I, w- I was sitting. Oh, down. that's not right. And I just thought disrespectful. It doesn't just, matter what no. your belief, Absolutely. what your creed, what anything Absolutely. Is. It doesn't matter what no. that is. At the end of the day, respect costs nothing and yeah. manners cost nothing. And that's when I, when the lads were there with me and I just said, look, you know, we've, we've kind of taken over their church. It's not fair. Let's out of respect yeah. and everything else. Everybody down tools. And we'd all go over to the side chapel and go into mass. Well done, well and like what made me laugh was the first day I got them to do it. And you could see them came to Holy Communion and they were like teenagers. And I was at the back and they're all looking at you. They're going, are you going up? No, are you going up? No, are you going up? <laughs> and they were they all local lads? No, some of them were like, Dublin. Some were of them, there was two English lads in yeah. it. And, um, and then oh, there was one lad who we didn't know what denomination he was because he was working. He was one of the, he was working, he was in from India and... He's there. He's in Ireland for years, and we've known him. Patesh is his name. And I said, Gina said, you can't ask him to go in." I said, "Sure, he could be Catholic for all I know." Yeah, Indian. And yeah. I said, "If I was like, if I was in his country and he was holding a ceremony, I'd go in and sit in on it." Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, but it's he all the be same. Catholic. Yeah, I said yeah. it's all was the same he? God. Was I didn't it? ask no, him. It's none of my business. And did he go in? He went in. He yeah. did. He? And he blessed himself, so he must have been. Ah, he must have been. He must have been, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, as I said, it didn't matter if they were doing whatever denomination is it, I'd sit in on it. Hindu, Buddhist, yeah. I would do the At same. the end of the day, it's the same, same. God. You know and I mean? then when you go out on stage to a concert like that, and you're conscious, obviously, of all the cameras, mm-hmm. are you playing to the camera? Or are you playing to the audience that's in the cathedral? Playing to the audience, because uh, I've rehearsed it to within an inch of its life. <laughs> and if I start playing to the camera, it's awful obvious. Yeah. And it just isn't a show then. It's just... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then if I do make a mistake, then I have to play to the camera because I turn around and say, stop. I of made, course. made balls of that. Yeah, yeah. Can we do it some other way? Um, and, you know, it, it's it's very tiring because it's a two hour show takes six hours and it's constant, you know, moving angles, something's wrong or, you know. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, you know, yeah. And like even what they would call continuity because we filmed the Tuesday night as well. And just to be sure, to just be sure. be sure, to be sure. Yeah. Um, they looked at they were in the middle of filming on the main night, and they looked at the picture. My hair was in a different, gone at a different angle, so it was the same song. So they said stop. So they had to bring a hairdresser in and re- recreate what they did the <laughs> night before, which is not easy with my mop. With my mop. But anyway, um, now you I, know how the poor Kardashians. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, yeah, I would never call any of them poor now. Well, no, well, no poor, poor is probably the wrong word. Mm. So this weekend, Friday and Saturday. It's a flavour of anyone who's seen the, the show on TV. On TV, it's a it's flavour of that. that. Like it sounds like that I've, I, I would never have thought I was going to stand on stage and sing How Great Thou Art. And I love singing it. And I remember I used to sing it as a kid in the choir. And Mrs. Tui was our choir mistress. And God love her, she wasn't the most talented organ player in the world. Because she had, uh, she had two keys, I think. She had A, a and B. And... If it wasn't an A, it was in B. If it was in B, it was too high all the time because she used to play on the top end of the organ. So you'd be up in the rafters. You were in fifth gear when you started, so you had nowhere to go. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? So um, I said there was a few things like that that I wanted to go back and do. Um, like World in Union. In 2007, I recorded that as the Rugby World Cup anthem mm. with um, K- K- Kiri Takanoa, 
Catherine Jenkins, Andrea Bocelli, Russell Watson. There was about 20 of us in it. And I loved the song, so I just wanted to do it solo. So I brought that in. Um, Just different things that I I kind of brought, uh, you know, bring him home from Les Mis. Kind of my salute to the the acting side of my life and salute to Broadway and all of that. Um, And it was, do you know something, Patricia? I'm nearly, I'm next door to 50. And I'm really kind of at a place where I can say... Do you know, I'm as happy as Larry and, no, but, you know, I'm, I'm content. Um, but I love kind of, I love my work that it's not. It's not yeah, the you've never in all the years that I've been interviewing you, you've never lost the buzz for. I've never you, lost the enthusiasm, yeah, I hope. You still you yeah. still love it. Because I, mean, I know when you talk about a show or whatever, you, you just you're, you're you're animated, your face lights up, your eyes sparkle. You know, you know, you can't put that on. That's I don't think you can. And I think the day I start putting that on is the day I have to finish it. You know, yeah. um, I find uh, sometimes my mother, God rest her, used to always say, sometimes I, I say is what I think too much. Um, and, you know, to the detriment of a lot of things. But I've I've had been I've been like that since I was a kid and I remember I got thrown out of religion in secondary school for asking too many questions and I'll always remember and you laugh at this the priest we had was a um, Father Cawley and he was talking about the whole thing of um, Adam and Eve and whatever it was an RE and I was in second year in school and the hand went up and I said can somebody explain to me Adam and Eve went on and they had two sons Cain and Abel and then they went on to form the 12 tribes of Israel and I said with who? (laughs) So I got thrown out of religion for that. <laughs> I remember asking a fairly similar question of a nun and I got removed as well. OK, uh, Tommy's staying with us. We're going to take uh, a break and we'll actually play one of the tracks from The Voice of Hope too. But we've got some tickets. Tommy's kindly given us tickets to give away. A pair of tickets for tomorrow night, Friday and a pair of tickets for Saturday night in the Opera House. If you call John Paul now, we'll go with caller 9 and caller 10 to get through to John Paul. 1850 If you want to go see Tommy Fleming live at the Opera House, call us now. I'm going to take a break and we're back with a track from The Voice of Hope 2 and we'll continue to chat with Tommy. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. Nicholas, how are you? I'm good, how are you sir? All my life I have been a chocolate first thing in the morning person. I didn't think there was a pea in Frisbee. Is there not? You mathematical genius. <laughs> You're very good, how do you know that? I'm quite intelligent. Oh. I know. Oh. I'm shocked. Aren't you good? I know, I'm clever, aren't I? Ooh. <laughs> Hello, um, I'm just inquiring about the brain teaser for the city. Yeah, what have you got? C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. When I down and so when troubles come in my heart and I am still waiting in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy I'm strong when I'm on your shoulders. You raise me up 
That is from the voice of hope to uh, Tommy. I deliberately went for the medley because I, I love <laughs> all three songs you raised me up. Yeah. Uh, the Isle of Hope, which of oh, four and so strong at the end. You tell me why you put the medley. See, lo- loads of people were saying, "Are you going to do such a song? Are you going to do this song? Are you going to?" And I thought I can't do them all. And I thought these and the, I, the, all of those four songs were part of the first one. So I thought. Okay, let's see. Can we see? Let's see how would how would we do the medley? So how I did it was, which you probably noticed, was 
the end of the first line of every song yeah, is the, the last word is the yeah. beginning of the second is the first line of the second song That's so we, t- we moved it in so you and, and Connell and I spent two days in um, in my house at the piano figuring out how we're going to land these four songs together and it worked it it, it took a while but it, and like every few minutes Connell would turn around the guitar player and go I'm not getting this why and I said you'll get it when, when it happens trust me and it, and it was like you know um, when it comes to the bridge over troubled water part was, there's no future in the past when you're weary yeah, <laughs> so clever. it moves into the Fe- very know. clever mm-hmm. uh, Texter says Tommy Fleming was talking about never getting perfection it reminds me of a book I just mm-hmm. read which was written by the renowned TV gardener Alan Titmarch who says exactly the same thing about gardening it's an ongoing process at kind regards so thank thanks you. very much no, okay. life is an ongoing process because you never you know I'm not sure how much you try to improve something um, you can't you know and I always say it's like when you used to go for auditions and go for interviews and go for all of that and you'd have that goal in sight and you got turned down or you got rejected and I've always said rejection is just as important as acceptance because by the time you've gone again for that goal, you've re- all of a sudden you realise you've reached that goal and you've already set another one that's gone further than it. So it, it makes you work a bit harder. Yeah, it know. does indeed. Can I congratulate our winners? Jim Duggan in Whelan is going to see Tom in the Opera House on Friday night and Katrina Nine from Kinsale will be heading to the Opera House on Saturday night. Jim and Trina, congratulations, congratulations and Congratulations, guys. Hope to see you there. Now, when, I, when, when you think, look back on last year, for me, when I'm talk, thinking of you, you went to Rwanda. Yeah. Talk to me about that and the effect it had on you. You went with the charity Bohor and, and we'd spoken the last time about the, the single that you recorded. But talk to me about the effect of the trip. The, the effect of the trip was, I didn't know what to expect. Now, I had worked with Goal before that. Um, many years ago. Many years ago when yeah. I went to um, Kenya and I went to Sudan. So um, you had a rough idea what these countries were I had a rough idea like. what they were like. But I, and I, my memory, you see, I, you have to remember 1994 was the, the year of the genocide in Rwanda. And... You kind of remember clips from the news and clips from listening to radio and, you know, like 100,000 bodies washed up on the, on the Lake Victoria and different things. But 100,000? Yeah, and I always remember that headline. And I was on the, we were on the flight going over and there was all the team from Boher. There was Tina and myself. Connell was with us because we were recording the song, some of the song over there with the kids. We got to Kigali and then we went out the next morning to the northern province of Rwanda where we met the first recipient of the cow that you know how boar works they get cows chickens and goats that go out and um, we met the first woman and ironically or coincidentally her name was Erin and I met she comes and I thought this woman was probably in her 70s when I discovered she was only about seven years older than me Um, and she walked with a severe limp she lived in a hut that was half the size of this studio with two or three of her kids. They weren't kids, they were in their 20s at this point. So she proceeded to tell me through an interpreter her story. She had nine kids and her husband. They were quite, you know, fairly well off in the early 90s. Um, Five of her sons were massacred in the genocide and two of her daughters. Um, Her husband was the first to be massacred and... She now lives four kind of, we'll say, 400 yards, maybe 500 yards from two of the men that killed her family. Oh, my God. And I'm sitting there listening to this. But if you listened to them telling the story and I I eventually on the third day, I said to Tina, I said, I don't think I have any more left in me to cry. 
you know, I didn't, and I didn't think I had any. I, I and the, do you know what frightened me actually? I started to get desensitized to it, and they, you know, when you heard all these stories, and then when you seen the simplest little thing of a cow, that gave them so much hope, because the cow goes out to them, and I grew up in a farm, so I understand exactly how it all works, you know. Um, the cow goes out in calf. If the cow has um, a heifer calf, that calf is what they call a passing on the gift. That calf has moved to the next family that need it. Okay. And the, so on, the, the cycle continues. Um, if it's a bull calf, they sell it. Now, the strange thing was they could get more for the bull calf at uh, at market than we would get for it in Ireland at a, in a mart. So that's a lot of money to them, considering they would her job before she got a cow was she would be out in the fields for 12 hours a day cutting corn or whatever doing vegetables for, for somebody else and she was getting paid the equivalent of a euro a day um back breaking work back breaking work whereas she'd be out when with her with the cow with milk they sell manure they sell every part that's that that the cow produces there she made 5 euro a day she was able to educate her grandkids she was able to feed her kids and she was thanking me because she thought it was me that gave her the cow, oh, if you no, know what I mean, but I you're know. trying to explain this yeah. not. And she was able to afford to put windows, now I say windows, inverted commas, in her house. And be- before that, they were just galvanised sheets. And they cost her the equivalent of $10 each. And I'm sitting there going, uh, I can't, you know, I couldn't couldn't sit there listening to this and of course my my instinct was I'll pay for the windows I know I know but you can't do that yeah that's not the answer that's not the answer either we all all think that oh we'll solve it now I'll I'll pay for that that's 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 not solving that's not solving the issue but but I'm just like it's it's only 25 years ago it's It's 25 it's the same age as our Becky Becky was a few weeks old the genocide happened um, on the 4th of um, sorry the 9th of April 1994 and our Beck was born on the 18th of April 94 and I was trying so to explain really this to, to Becky your life yeah. in parallel so I said Becky said the next time I'm doing, going over with them she's going to come with me knowing that the genocide happened the month she was born you know and I just I, I know and, and there's a lot of great causes in Ireland too that I'm involved in but this one kind of just struck me and there was when I one thing I loved was I was working with the kids in the the secondary school that we and we got them all in to do the choir on the song, you know. And there was one and lad. They're great little singers. I saw oh, they were brilliant. One lad, Asha, was his name, and he never stopped smiling. He just smiled all the way through the four days that we were working with them, and I christened him Smiley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> That's clever. So, so every time, and he, he his attention level, his, his attention span was zero. So you'd say, "Okay, follow this note," and he'd be, he'd be looking out the window with a oh. big smile. And I think it's on film, actually, where I'm going, hey, hey, Smiley Cyrus, I'm over here. (laughs) Just to get his attention. Uh, Here's a lovely text uh, to finish off. It says, hi, Patricia, would you please give Tommy our best wishes uh, from all of his fans in West Cork? We were delighted to have Tommy in Dunmanway before Christmas for a really special event. It was a fundraiser for the Dunmanway Playground Refurbishment Project. Over 600 people packed into Dunmanway Church, which was the first event of its type in the town. And locals are still talking about how fantastic the show was the lighting the talented musicians and of course Tommy's voice which soared above as always hope to see you back here in the near future and that's uh, and the best the best spread that was ever put on there was the you know when the when the the, the women of the committee or the ladies of the committee put their, their food together yeah and we got so used to that because you come in and go, egg sandwiches, deadly, mince pies, deadly. <laughs> so 
we weren't. So and, thanks a million for and the West, spread, West folks. West Cork are great, are great to feed people, I yeah. can tell you that. OK, Tommy's in the Opera House uh, tomorrow night, Friday, and again on Saturday. There are a limited number uh, of tickets available. You can call the box office on 021 427 or you can go online to www.corkoperahouse.ie. Tommy Fleming, as always, absolute pleasure. Thanks a million, Patricia. Thank thanks for taking care of us always, well, and thanks for the support and, and the listeners We'll see as you well. again soon. Thanks a million. Bye bye. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, taking a look at some of your comments coming into the programme. Padjo has been on by text. It's a second morning, Trish. I was on to John Paul a few weeks ago, probably when I was off over Christmas, wasn't it? Anyway, Padjo said, I was on to the programme about elderly folk driving and how they should be chucked off the road once they reach the age of 65. Yesterday, says Padjo, I saw some. Now, this is what... Padjo is putting his text. This is his language, not mine. I saw some owl one driving on the wrong side of the road in Glenmire. I would say she was in her 70s. It is disgraceful. I stand by what I said, what I said a number of weeks ago that once you reach the age of 65, you should be off the road. I completely disagree with you, Padjo. I don't see why anybody over the, 60, over the age of 65, we have some of our safest drivers are over the age of 65. Yes, you will get some older drivers who maybe are not very safe drivers. Likewise, you'll get some very young drivers who are not very safe on the road. But you can't make a blanket statement that everybody over the age of 65 are bad drivers and therefore once you reach the age of 65 it's bad enough people are forced to retire against their will at the age of 65 and they're looking at that and they're changing their mind on that one and have been for a number of years but to say to people just because you've reached the age of 65 for no other reason except that it is the anniversary of your birth you've reached the age of 65 and you should be off the road I won 100% 100% disagree with you Padjo. I know that's your, you, how you feel and what you came across yesterday sounds like a very scary incident to come across somebody driving on the wrong side of the road but can I tell you I was out driving on Monday and I was driving on very narrow bendy roads in particular the roads between it was I can tell you exactly where it was it's the road between Mallow and Butterfront it is a windy twisty road it is an 80 kilometre zone. I was keeping an eye on my speedometer because on Monday on the programme, this was following the programme, I, I was on the road and that morning we've been talking about speeding and about, you know, making sure that you do know what speed you're doing. So keep an eye on the speedometer. So I was keeping an eye on the speedometer while keeping an eye on the road. And out of the corner of my eye, I realised there was somebody beside me and next I looked and it was a white courier van with a young fella, not an old one, a young fella, uh, driving it. And next I looked forward and there was two cars coming against us and I my initial in my initial panic I I braked to allow this crazy lunatic driving the courier van to overtake me. But he obviously panicked as well when he realised there's a bend and there's two cars coming. So he braked as well. So he pulled in behind me. He nearly rear-ended me because I had braked to, in the hope that he could overtake me in time but we both reacted uh, the same way but utterly, utterly dangerous driving and that wasn't from somebody over the age of 65 I would, don't know what age he was but he 
certainly wasn't over the age of 65. He was a younger driver. So please don't say that everybody over the six, over the age of 65 is a bad driver and that everybody over the age of 65 should be off the road. 1850 333 103. I imagine, Padjo, that a lot of people will disagree with you. Maybe some will agree. We'll have to wait and see. West Cork listener says, Patricia, you've been on about drink uh, driving on the programme today. What about drug driving that was introduced when Dr. Anna's documentary went out? Now, if you, if you are caught. A person on medication will have to go to their doctor and get a letter stating what medication they're on. Look at the cost of that. And yet people are going on about drink driving. Does the whole area of drug driving need to be uh, looked at? Mick, oh, this is Mick in uh, Ballydesmond. Mick says, Patricia, I heard something on the radio this morning that a shop in Bohabui is their last day of trading and they're closing uh, this evening. I didn't hear it all. Could you find out for me? Is it Bohabui in Tralee? It is. It isn't our own Bohabui uh, in North Cork. It's Bohabui in Tralee. Sad story, actually, of a little shop that's closing. It now leaves them in that village of Bohabui near Tralee. They've one shop remaining. They'll be the last shop standing. Hold on, the last shop will stay I don't know but yes it's it's in it's in Kerry it's not in uh, Cork this is on unaccompanied learner drivers here's an interesting suggestion see what people think about this as a suggestion that came in uh, earlier I'm only getting to it now would anybody consider setting up an escort drivers organisation the idea would be the qualified drivers who are retired or who have some kind of free time on, on their hand would go and join this escort drivers organisation. Then when a learner driver needs to go to work or needs to do some kind of a journey or maybe just needs to practice, you know, get in the extra practice out driving, they would be able to contact this escort driver organisation who would be able to give them a list of drivers in their area who then would be able to sit in with the provisional driver, let them go to and from work or to and from their their practice or to and from shopping, whatever they want, they want to do. You'd put hook one up with the other, they'd arrange to meet and collect and all of that and they would do it for a small fee. So the learner driver would pay the escort driver not a huge sum of money, just a small amount but it would be a way for retired people to earn a bit extra money or people who had uh, free time and it might suit those with free travel who could then go home if they were living in a town and the person is working in another area or they could drive the person's car home, you know, do some arrangement there with the endurance and then uh, drive back. How does, how does, does, does that sort of idea, does that float with anyone? Does anybody else see that as a workable idea of calling it an escort driver's organisation? Now, they would have to be set up, it would have to be guard the vetted and all of that. You just couldn't have random people getting into cars with other people. But I'm sure if there's a will, there's a way. And it certainly would get around the problem we have we constantly hear about in this programme the last time we discussed it when was when we discussed in quite great detail the Clancy Amendment which which and the ad to do with the Clancy Amendment and there was a lot of people then again talking about unaccompanied learner drivers and what we needed to do for unaccompanied learner drivers so is that a solution to set up an organisation that would you'd, you'd match up people together people who qualified driver have some are free willing to sit in with the learner driver so the learner driver would be covered to drive their car let me know your thoughts on that one please Hi Patricia regarding illegal dumping that you've been discussing this morning on the programme we have we are a country of laws but nobody seems to implement them recently there was rubbish dumped on my friend's property it turned out it was a professional couple 
with two very good wages that turned out to be the culprits. They drive the best of cars, they have a big house and a very fancy lifestyle. When my friend found their receipts in the middle of the rubbish, he approached the council. The council told him he would have to clean it up himself. So as I said already, it, there's all laws, but nobody to implement those laws. He said, well, I would have gone to the, if he, has, if he has the actual evidence, I would have gone back to the professional couple with the bags of rubbish and the receipts that he found and photographic evidence to prove that when he opened the bags, here was the receipt and say, can you explain how this ended up on my land? It'd be I would be very interested to hear what they would have said to him. Anna says, hi Patricia, I don't mind paying for my bins as you are getting a good service, but I do mind paying for property tax. We paid a mortgage for years to own our own house and now we have to pay property tax because we finally own our own house. I wouldn't mind paying if we had a second home as that would be a luxury, but we live in it. Kind regards, says Anne, who joins a long list of people who I think absolutely object to paying property tax because they feel they're getting nothing for it. If you are paying a property tax, and as some said earlier on, it covered the cost of your bins being, being collected or paid for better facilities in, in your area, I think people would, would you know say, OK, this is another tax I have to pay, but at least I can see something coming back from it. But people really do feel that they get nothing in return for their property tax, even though the government will say the property tax goes back, goes into central funds and then it gets divvied up amongst all of the councils. And Anne actually also uh, says, is there any way of stopping these scam calls? I'm getting several I'm getting them several times a day now and that's from Anne from Ballon Temple. No, we, we've been covering that all week and I haven't yet heard of somebody who's come up with a solution. Bar taking the phone off the hook, which isn't always the ideal but that's what a number of people have been doing. And Mary in Glenville regarding the bins says, I must walk out onto the main road as I live off a main road and we need to make our own way to and from our bin. So with the bin situation, the drink driving, the potholes on the roads, we are being discriminated again so much again here in rural areas. And then Mary also adds, our reception with Vodafone has gone from bad to worse. I'm in the Glenville, Carrig, Navarre area. Both phone and broadband is playing up, says Mary. Oh, the joys and the woes of living in rural Ireland. 1850 333 103 lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And an invitation to come and join me tonight where I'll be MC for a panel of experts who will be speaking on a range of topics of interest to women in agriculture. That's tonight at the West Cork Hotel in uh, Skibbereen. We hope to get underway at eight o'clock. The Cork West ICSA are hosting a farmers meeting on the future of dry stock farming. That's tomorrow night, Thursday, Parkway Hotel in Dermanway. The event will kick off at uh, eight uh, o'clock. Uh, sorry, that's tonight. The event will kick off, uh, off at eight o'clock tonight. Sensational Kids Charity in Clam. They're holding a free speech and language drop-in advice clinic that is on this evening between 6 and 7 in the West Cork Technology Park. The Mallow Art Club are holding the first demonstration of the year, half past 7 tonight in the Mercy Centre. Well-known artist Jack Cornerhouse will do a palette knife demonstration in a critic of a street scene with people all 
are very welcome. And Dr. Chris Luke, consultant in emergency medicine, will speak at Acton's Hotel in Kinsale on a little nightclub medicine caring for party animals in the 21st century. The talk starts at eight and is a must for all parents and teenagers and it's promoted by the Kinsale Youth Support Group. And St Luke's Charity will host a free course for family members of those diagnosed with dementia. It starts on Wednesday, March 6th in the North Ridge House Education Centre in Maham. Further details from 021 4 Three five nine four four four, and an evening of music and dance with Ronan Collins and his band, and Gina Del Hayes and the Champions will be held at the Celtic Ross Hotel. That's on Saturday night, and it's in aid of the Ethiopia Deaf Project. Great night out, and tickets are available from the hotel Celtic Ross on o two three double eight four eight seven two two. Ladies and gents, this is the moment we've waited for. To tell you how many people listen to C103 every day. Our numbers show we're the first thing you hear in the morning and last thing at night. And we appreciate it. According to the latest radio listenership figures, 257,000 adults now listen to C103 and Cork's 96 FM every week. Source, Channel or Ipsos MRBI 2018-4. Cork's greatest shows are on your favourite station. And stay listening to win your share of €5,000 with C103 Cash Tracks. Coming soon to Cork's greatest hits, C103. Hashtag choose radio. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And this week's uh, Guard the File, we're going to from more Guard the Station where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good um, good afternoon, as it is yeah, this day just past yeah, 12. Yeah, uh, you're yeah. welcome. Okay. Well, it's a slightly later time uh, because of myself, yeah. Okay, well, you're Thank welcome you to the programme. Now, unlocked cars, we've been talking about this all week since the story broke at the weekend from West Cork and the number of break-ins. It's like there was a blitz done. It looked like a gang was targeting the area. But what was shocking was the cars they were broken into were unlocked. Yeah, I, I, I suppose, uh, Patricia, we're even correct in using the term broken into because they're not. They're, they're yeah. just, they were unopened. They're just, <laughs> just opened. People are, people are just pulling the door open. I mean, the stuff is inside in the car. Um, in some cases, glass display. And, you, you know, you'd ask people to please get the message. Um, now, I, I suppose we just have to keep mentioning it and mentioning it. I, the good news is that we have video... Um, from the fort, from the early morning there of uh, last Sunday, Monday, of and uh, quite a number of cars being tried at an estate in Rockgrove, uh, up up uh, or up around uh, Middleton, uh, Carrick Tool area. Now, cars were tried there. Uh, the video shows them being tr- being tried, but none of them none of them were. They were all locked, thankfully, you know. But um, people need to get the message across. It was. Cork North a few weeks ago, it was West Cork at the weekend, abandoned from the Kilty districts. I think there was upwards of 20 cars mm. um, properly taken from them. Um, so, you, you know, people just have to get the message as, as regards you parking your car outside your house. It's not, it's a semi-private area. It's not a private area. It's not fully enclosed. So anyone can come in, as they are doing, into your driveway, open your door and take whatever is in it. 
So you just have to um, give it. And even, and I know people are, people like to think that everybody is as honest as themselves and you're sort of parking the driveway of your house and the car will be safe. You, you no longer, you've got to get, we've got to get out of that mentality that as soon as we leave the car, even for a couple of minutes to run you know back I mean? in to get something. Well, well we've kind of reg- regressed really, Patricia, because 20 years ago people were locking their cars. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, there seems to be a thing now that uh, we, we, we just won't even press the button to, uh, uh, you, you know, and, and not alone press the button, turn around just to make sure that, that it is locked. That's clicking, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, again, I, you know, not to waste too long on it, but for people just to please start doing it, you know, because um, I'm, I'm afraid that this trend will continue while the pickings are that easy, you know? Um, now, you next also, thing I want to mention there is a bit of fraud that's going on Okay, uh, this is a new one because we've been, we've been talking as well about scams on the programme today but this is a new one that's a warning coming from the, P, the PSNI Yeah, the PSNI and it's like this if it's up north this week it'll be down south this week okay. or, uh, you, you know it's, it, they move like this um, just a variation of something right whereby uh, in one instance the person received a text from their mobile service operator. In another, they actually received a call telling them that there was a problem with their internet, um, that they wouldn't be able to access their, their internet, that they needed to install an app on their phone. They did install the app on their phone. This app managed to link into their logon bank details and uh, uh, about 20,000 was taken in each. A lot of money. You know, so look, you do not get phone calls from your internet service providers. You do not get phone calls from your bank. You know, uh, like at this stage, that looking through different incidents, there's nearly more being taken now by online scams than there is in break-ins to houses and and uh, what's been stolen from cars and theft from shops, the, the amount that's been taken online. I think we're on, on the crest of a wave and that it's only going to get bigger. Now, you probably have seen um, there's a website has been launched fraudsmart.ie um, it's the guards in conjunction Garda Shikana in conjunction with the Banking Federation um, uh, it's a very very good website I'd ask people to look it up fraudsmart.ie um, there's a lot of uh, uh, advice on it but they also go through a lot of different stories um, obviously with no names of uh, people how they have been caught and uh, various different scams uh, internet and phone scams you know, so for people just to be aware of not of discontinuing calls, um, if they do believe that a call is genuine and if they need, do need to call their service provider, call them on another phone. Don't use the phone that you're after taking the call on because the call may not have been disconnected if, if it was a landline. So use, a, use another phone. Um, but I'd say to people, look, those scam merchants, they're professionals. They're highly professional at their job and they will create a kind of a a boiler house atmosphere. Uh, in other words, that you think everything is urgent, I need to do it now. And if I don't do, do it now, there's going to be so much taken from my account. Uh, you, you know, that's the urgency they're trying to create. That's what, they, know, that's what they play on. And you yeah, need to have the conversation with elderly family members or neighbours or friends who have a yes. tendency to be yes. more trusting. T- tendency to be more trusting, tending, uh, tendency uh, not to be as blunt uh, as as we have learned to be. You know, as regards with unwanted phone calls. You know, um, 
and and if you give them any moment at all, they're in. Hold, they're in. Hold in the line. Yeah, they're, they're in. in yeah. Right, and they're inside your mind in 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 the next couple of seconds, uh, basically changing your mind. If they get any suggestion at all that you're gullible, they will play on just that. Get off that the phone. Is just get off that the phone as quickly as possible. Hang up straight away. And if you have to use a, a line, use another line until that line is gone. You know. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, um, just a couple of break-ins there, Patricia, finally. Okay. We had one um, on Monday. Monday, uh, sometime between uh, sometime between 6.30 in the morning and 5.20 in the afternoon, roughly a, roughly an 11-hour gap, Bannercross can talk. If anybody was in the area last Monday, if they saw any suspicious activity in the area, Bannercross can talk, we'd welcome any phone call. Um, in this case, the injured party returned to home find a large bedroom window at the rear of the property had been smashed with a hammer. That was left at the scene. Uh, very little taken, but it's just the fact, um, you know, it's fierce, fierce disruption. Could they have been disturbed know, that there was very little it, taken? It, no, I wouldn't think no. so. Okay. They had a thorough search. Uh, they got keys. They searched another uh, uh, kind of uh, another part of the house as well. They were looking you know. for cash and jewellery, obviously. Yeah, correct, yeah. Okay. correct. Correct. Right. Um, now, we had a commercial one as well at Glanbia, uh, there at Brisebridge. Um, so we do just appeal to uh, we just appeal to shop owners or retailers, just be on the alert. This wasn't highly sophisticated, but there was a ladder used to get onto the roof, and they came down through a ceiling panel. The alarms worked. Uh, nothing really was got. Uh, very, very little anyway was, was got. But just for people to be conscious of that, um, that this problem hasn't gone away and just to bear it in mind. Okay, and I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but it's commenced, so I'll put it to you. We were talking about drink driving earlier on and somebody says, could you please ask Sergeant John Kelly, uh, will three large glasses of wine leave your system in six hours? I'm not talking about three measures, I'm talking about three large glasses of wine. That depends on the person, doesn't it? It's like what's, what, what I could drink could be very different to what you could drink. That's, yeah, there's no one size fits all there, yeah. right? But I, I certainly would think they're still in your system. Okay. You know, three large glasses of wine was mentioned. I'd imagine, yes, they're still in your system. Okay, so whereas all, I know... I know what their body mass index, you know, male, yeah. female, you know, whether you're eating or not, you know, it all comes into it, you know. Um, so it would be impossible to give a straight yeah, answer. Yeah, I know what the reason that that's got mentioned was that we mentioned earlier on the HSE uh, about smart alcohol. Um, that's the advice. It's three glasses, but they're, they're measured glasses. I mean, three <laughs> large glasses. How big are your glasses? I mean, I've got wine. I've got one <laughs> wine glass exactly at home it. that would nearly take a bottle of wine. Do you know what I mean? Well, so, so there's no way of answering that question. Well, I mean, I, I've seen some glasses that are more like a goldfish with a handle, you know. <laughs> okay. So, impossible to answer. Yeah, it is. All right. Face, Listen, you know. thank you for that, uh, John. We'll talk again in a few weeks. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Sergeant John Kelly, who joins us at uh, from Oigai, the station. What I would suggest to that person, because uh, I can see there was a text in earlier as well, uh, from that same person, if you're worried about the um, what you're drinking and you're worried the next morning it's still going to be in your system, get one of the home breathalyzer kits and that will give you a good indication if you're over the limit or not. 1850 Get your pet questions in please uh, because Jane Pickett our resident vet is going to be joining us so if you have a pet uh, question get those in uh, as quickly as you can please and uh, we will put the questions to uh, John Paul. We were talking about 
learner drivers and driving. Let me get to some of your calls coming in. Okay, some reaction to Padjo. Padjo is the texter who seemingly was on to John Paul when I was away over Christmas making the same point. He feels that once you hit the age of 65, you shouldn't be on the road. If there's nobody over the age of 65, you should have a driver's licence. Your driver's licence should be removed and that everybody over the age of 65, dangerous drivers. They're all dangerous drivers according to Padjo. John and Cove says, I feel the same as Padjo. Okay. I feel no female should be allowed behind the wheel of a vehicle. I feel we should follow what Saudi Arabia uh, do. John, would you like to come on air and join me? We could have, we could further discuss that point of banning all females and let us go like Saudi Arabia where females are not allowed to drive. Even though I think they've relaxed their rules, have they not? Are they not now allowing females uh, to drive? But feel free, if you would like to discuss it with me at any time, available to you at 1850 333 103. Helen in Donawell said she was travelling from Donawell to Castletown Roach on the back road. She met a courier driver. This obviously is picking up on my story about the courier driver who tried to overtake me on the Bendy Road with, with the continuous white line, might I add. Uh, Helen's story was she met the courier driver on a back road. He made no attempt at all to slow down. He held the road and Helen said then nearly blew her off the road when she obviously wasn't pulling in enough for him to overtake. John in Donnerwell says, you have bad drivers, both young and old. It's as simple as that. Remember when the amnesty came out for driving licence a number of years ago? That was back in the early 80s, wasn't it? That should never have happened. People got driving licence who never would have passed a test at the time. So they never should have. And they'll never be allowed again, by the way. There's been... There was EU rules and regulations brought in that will never allow that amnesty to happen again. So that really was a, a one-off. And John and Donnerwell says, a guy on a motorbike with an L on, on his jacket, he is no qualified driver with him. The rules of the road applies to everyone. How come he's allowed to drive without a qualified driver? Also, John says, I've never seen a tractor with an L or an R on it. You see trucks on the road, but never a tractor. Should the same laws not apply for those drivers as well? Now, I, I'm trying to think. I, a tractor, does a tractor have to have an L plate? Just because John in Donnerwood hasn't seen a tractor with an L plate or an L, N plate, that doesn't mean that they don't have to have them. Could anybody in the farming community let us know on that? Or if there is a learner driver on a tractor and then a novice driver for the first two years after they've qualified, uh, when they pass their test, do you have to put up L and N plates on tractors or is there some kind of exemption for tractors? Maybe there is and maybe there's an exemption that we don't know about. So someone in the farming community, if you can tell us that, please. Do you have to put L or N plates if you are driving a tractor? 1850 Somebody wants to know what age is Padjo who texts in about the over 60s. I don't know. I, I literally don't know. I, when I get off air, I'll, I'll have the chats with John Paul to see this John Paul. See, I don't know if he came on air with John Paul or was he just texting John Paul at the time. I don't know what age he is, but I assume he's a good few years off being 65 because if he was close to being 65, I'm assuming he wouldn't be advocating that we, to quote him, Chuck all people over the age of 65 off the road. I assume he is a younger driver. 1850 Pet questions, please, for Jane, our resident vet, or text or WhatsApp a pet question to 0862 
103 103. And um, Jane Pickett, our resident vet from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me in the studio. Good afternoon to you. Hi there. Uh, Jane, and we were just chatting there while the ad break was on. It's calving, to, or, or the start of calving. calving. The calving is just beginning to kick off. It's a really exciting part of springtime um, for all the farmers out there. They're just preparing, waiting for the, the, the dairy calving to kick off, kind of going February, March, April. So um, it's kind of the calm before the storm this week almost. We can see it just beginning to start and the calls coming in for calving. And it's a fierce exciting time for us as well as everything else. We get to go out and help the animals out and see new life appearing. So it's um, all the joys of spring. Spring, spring is yeah. a lovely time on the farm, it is. isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. There's lots of new animals around, lots of baby, baby calves and lambs pottering around. It's also a really hard time. Um, for vets because I suppose we're on call all hours of the day but particularly for the farmers they do a sterling job taking care of care of their animals and this is one of the most intense periods for them um, so a few few weeks and months of hard work ahead but I'm sure it'll all pay off and I mean nature is great most cows yeah. will deliver absolutely you know, nature fine. is an incredible thing um, they always require lots of monitoring from the farmers but I think the really important thing is that um, these animals are incredibly important to their to their farmers and they want to take really good care of them so normally we'll get called out if there's any suspicion of difficulty to help out or monitor or give our opinion on whether we need to intervene but usually if we can at all we try and let nature take its course yeah. but unfortunately sometimes it yeah, needs a helping things, hand things do go wrong now Helen um, Helena my apologies Helena in Ballyvalan was on to say uh, any reason my dog a Labrador nine years old tries to eat his tail every so often it's like something is at him or in his tail it doesn't look like he's got fleas because she's obviously examined it but she mm. just can't figure it out what could it be oh you know it could be a few things with this if it's really just every now and again he gets a mad fit of chasing the tail and biting at it it can kind of be like a toddler discovering they have feet and toes in a way sometimes they just remember they have a tail back there and start doing mad chasing and playing if they're maybe a little bit bored if it's a little bit more frequent or if you notice he goes through spates of biting at the tail I would wonder if if there's some kind of stressor in the home sometimes they'll bite at their feet and bite at their tail if they're a little bit worried it's kind of like our us biting our nails if we're a little bit stressed out sometimes they can kind of self-traumatise to distract themselves I think there is always a possibility it could be something like fleas or an infection of the skin on the tail and that's definitely a possibility we need to rule out. It looks like you've done a good job in having a little look to see if there's fleas and I think as a precautionary measure in case there is any parasite like fleas or mites or lice I'd probably prevent doing a routine spot on as I always do and usually they're due monthly as a matter of course to prevent yeah. any creepy crawlies appearing. Um, normally in that case I would expect itching elsewhere on the body not just on the tail so it does sound either like a behavioural issue like either he's distracted or maybe a little bit bored or having a play with the tail if it's very occasional but if he is getting any in any way kind of aggressive with his tail or really gnawing at it or certainly if you can see any wounds or self-trauma on the tail I would go to your vet double okay. check there's nothing hurting him um, sometimes we can get because it's not normal no, behaviour it's not sometimes we can see dogs chewing at their tails when they have problems in the back region so if they have let's say problems with their glands their bottom glands sometimes they can be trying to bite at that area but miss slightly and get to the tail so I think if you're concerned at all or if it is frequent pop to your vet and they'll just give it a check over Okay, pet question. Is it okay to give an old doggy whose teeth are not 
is plentiful mm-hmm. now in his old age, some soft human food. I feel he struggles to eat his dry nut diet. Or should I just dampen the nuts? He's a very fussy eater and he'll actually select the coloured nuts he prefers. OK, you know by this text he is spoiled, <laughs> but he's my baby now as my children have grown up. Oh, no, no, I think I totally understand here. It does sound like we have quite a discerning character on our hands picking out the specific colour nuts. Um, so I think it can be a little bit tricky to find, particularly with our with our older ladies and gentlemen of the, of the four legged variety, uh, a food that they like, particularly if they're struggling with their food. I think first and foremost, I would try and make it a little bit softer if you do notice that we're struggling with the hard nuts. And I think nutritionally, it would probably be better to feed uh, a complete diet, like a wet diet. So tins or pouches of dog food because that's balanced with the right minerals, vitamins, protein, fats, etc. Now, saying that, if they do fancy a little bit of human food, provided it's nothing too rich or fatty, then that should be safe. I would say certainly no bones. I think if you do want to feed them human food, uh, a good bet is always just kind of dry roasted chicken, just the breast, no bones. That's quite a safe thing unless there is any underlying dietary allergy, which is, to be honest, quite rare. Um, I think really... It would be worth seeing if there's anything that can be done. If the teeth are not as numerous, that suggests maybe there has been some dental problems in the past and it's quite possible that uh, this caller might have been to the vet and had some veterinary attention to see if there was anything we could do to make the mouth a little bit more comfortable. But I think the thing is to keep in mind, if we're noticing a little bit of a tendency to not want to eat the dry nuts, there might be an element of of discomfort in the mouth. And um, I think with teeth, if there's any badness going on there, better out than in let's mm. put it like that it might be the case that you might need to go to your vet have a scale and polish take away any tartar and assess underneath if those teeth might be causing any toothache if they're in any way unstable generally dogs are much more comfortable with less teeth but good teeth yeah, rather than, than more than teeth than well, ones that will be causing well, pain well God Jane you know yourself and you've got a, te- got a toothache yeah. um, Hi says the texture I love a bowl of porridge for my breakfast uh, I live alone with my 12 year old Chihuahua sits down beside me and his big brown eyes begging me for a spoonful which he adores by the way I wonder though is it too rich for an indoor dog I don't want to upset his tummy but just a small little bit of the porridge is that okay every morning thanking you I think so yeah I would say for a little chihuahua I wouldn't go overboard maybe even just a tablespoon would probably be more than enough if you think of the size of his stomach relative to the size of him it'll be smaller than we expect I think the one word of warning I would have is a lot of us make porridge with milk in it milk can be a little bit rich on their tummies particularly if they have a lot of it so I'd probably suggest yeah Porridge is grand, but I'd probably make make your little dog's portion with water. Okay. It's probably what I'd suggest. <laughs> Mary in the city wants to know, is it too late for a two-year-old Jack Russell to be toilet trained? Male, not hmm. neutered. No, I, I don't think it's ever too late. It might be a little bit more of a struggle at this stage because when they're puppies, they go through this period where they're just super receptive to everything around them and they learn so, so quickly. Um so they are perhaps a little bit easier to train at that age also they don't have the bad habits of if they are peeing indoors or peeing in inappropriate places um, they haven't had that long to kind of solidify that behaviour whereas as a two year old Jack Russell they've probably been doing it for a little while peeing in strange places if they have been doing it's never too late I think my top tips would be give your little dog as many opportunities as you can to do the right thing. So take him out for a load of little small walks into the garden. Um, take him out at predictable times, like after he's eaten, he'll probably want to do his business. Last thing at night, he'll probably want to do his business. First thing in the morning, he'll probably mm. want to do his business. So give him as many chances as possible to get it right. Also, 
giving them a cue word so saying like you know Jack do you want to pee um, so they have a phrase that they kind of associate with it at, at first it won't do anything but you might find six months later you might have a dog that pees on command which is you know an absolute godsend and Jack Russells are intelligent little they dogs. are they're yeah. clever little dogs yeah. they're also generally very food motivated so if you can supply him with a treat after he does his business in the right place outside he might begin to associate that. It's all about yeah, routine and, and, and habits. And I'm wondering, will, will a lot of the what you, your tips you've given there also help with Nula in McCroom? Uh, their Jack Russell uh, is a two-year-old as well, but this is a neutered Jack Russell. Mm-hmm. When they bring the dog out to go to the toilet, it's fine. If Nula does it or, or if her partner does it, but if anybody else tries to bring the dog out, if somebody else is looking after the mm-hmm. dog, he won't go to the toilet. He'll actually wait until they come home. Is that unusual? Oh. It's not the most unusual. Um, I think we have a dog there that's just feeling a little bit nervous, maybe of doing his business around strangers. If you think about like, let's say an animal in the wild, if they're peeing or doing their business or anything like that, that puts them in kind of a little bit of a vulnerable position. So if you watch the next time you take your dog out to the garden, the likelihood is if you take him out on a lead, when he's doing his business, he'll probably look at you. Because yeah. he's looking at you to check that nothing dangerous is happening around him. So you're kind of the lookout dog, as it were, okay. while he's a little bit distracted, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's quite possible that this little dog might just be a little bit nervous with strangers because he doesn't feel like he can trust them to keep a watch out. God bless. Yeah. So I think just getting to know the strangers that are likely to be taking care of him will probably help. And that should sort it yeah. out. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you for that, uh, Jane. Have a lovely week. And we'll chat you again next week. That's Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary. Can anyone going along tonight to the Women in Forum, our Women in Agriculture Forum in Skibbereen later on tonight? Look forward to seeing you there and the event will kick off at 8 o'clock. That's where I leave you for today. Before I go, big thank you. We've had our best listenership figures ever here to the programme uh, just released in the last hour. So we're particularly chuffed about that. So thank you to you, the listener, because you make it all worthwhile. Until tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a really good afternoon. And uh, thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. See you tomorrow at 10. Record today on C103. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.